something cool about being in this room with you all and experiencing this stuff together. I don't know if you're sensing that too, but that's pretty cool. Uh, something's, something's moving in the house, and that's, that's pretty cool. Well, uh, good news. Uh, Hezekiah 7.14, the Lord saith, the world does not suck. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if God would ever say the world does not suck, but I am sure that Hezekiah 7.14, though it sounds like a book in the Bible, actually is not. But you can look it up and you can fool your friends with that and quote it as often as you like. But I mean it. The world doesn't suck. The world is actually the opposite of suck. No matter how much bad news you hear, the, the overwhelming amount of good news that is always happening in, in the world and the universe dwarfs all the bad stuff. It is, there's no competition. You need to hear that because for every, every war that's happening, and I don't mean to diminish that in any way, every, every horrible life chapter that people are going through, all the bad stuff that you hear on the news which would convince you if you got invested in that too much, would convince you that the world, in fact, sucks, I'm here to tell you that's not the case. Because as much as that's happening, love abounds. And it abounds everywhere, all the time. It happens between people. It happens between strangers, people who don't even know each other. Somehow show love and respect to each other. Sometimes it's when somebody's really in need and somebody's heart just breaks for that person, and so they do stuff to help that person. Sometimes we evidence it in the grass. Grass, you say? Yes, grass, because it continues to grow, much to my annoyance, and it doesn't grow the way I want it to much to my annoyance, but the fact is it grows. I cut it, and it comes back next week, and with vigor. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You know, plants grow, people grow, things happen. <clears throat> parents love their children, children love their parents, people love each other. Love is everywhere. Do you ever wonder? You know, if, if there wasn't love in the world, if the very nature of God was not love, why would creation continue to exist? It would not. If that was not the primary measure and characteristic of God, why would beauty exist? It would not. So I'm here to tell you, the world doesn't suck. There's way more good than bad, and love wins all the time in spades, even surprisingly in our darkest hour. Even in the midst of our deepest pain, love is also there if we'll, if we'll see it if we'll slow down, if we'll rest in it. And it's not just a Christian thing, uh, but other people recognize this too. So this yogi and spiritual teacher, uh, Sadhguru, I guess, says, every moment there are a million miracles happening around you, a flower blossoming, a bird tweeting, a bee humming, a raindrop falling, a snowflake wafting along, the clear evening air, there is magic everywhere. If you learn how to live it, life is nothing short of a daily miracle. And that's right. Now, Bruce Epperly, uh, we're wrapping up the prayer series. Next week I'm going to do something different. Uh, but in this final chapter, we got some delicious quotes. So this one is great. It says, God is never fully understandable, but we can stand in awe of divinity, amazed at God's constant and ubiquitous creativity and love for us and all creation. This awe, wonder, and mystery is the beginning of wisdom and the inspiration of ethics. That's brilliant. This awe, wonder, and mystery is the beginning of wisdom and the inspiration of ethics. 
Reverence and wonder lead to appreciation and affirmation and to honoring of life in its myriad or manifold forms. This sounds to me like somebody who has either read a lot about or either had a moment, a satori moment, a unitive experience, or just grew there over time. But my experience is the more you understand just how pervasive the love of God is, the more you want to love everybody. Being fully immersed in the love of God does not make you a bigger jerk. (laughs) It makes you a better lover in every sense of the word. Religion has something to do with that, even though religion often screws it up. Uh, Alfred North Whitehead, who is kind of the father of uh, process theology, says, Religion is the vision of something which stands beyond, behind, and within the passing flux of immediate things. Something which is real and yet waiting to be realized. Something which is a remote possibility and yet the greatest of present facts. Something that gives meaning to all that passes. Oh, wait a minute. Let's start that over so you can see what I'm saying. Is this where we are? No, no, no. I had it right. I'm going to start it over anyway because it's a heavy sentence. All right. Religion is the vision of something which stands beyond, behind, and within the passing flux of immediate things. Something which is real, yet waiting to be realized. Something which is a remote possibility, and yet the greatest of present facts. Something that gives meaning to all that passes, and yet eludes apprehension. Something whose possession is the final good, and yet is beyond all reach. Something which is the ultimate ideal, and the hopeless quest. Now some of you might hear that, those last few words, and be like, oh great, what's the point? We can never get this thing. And I want to tell you, if you feel that way, don't get discouraged because Jesus felt that way. If you were to ask any decent Jesus scholar on the planet, what was Jesus all excited about with his earthly ministry? What was he about? What was he teaching about? What was the number one thing on his mind? Every one of them will say the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And what is he talking about, the kingdom of God? Bringing it more and more into our earthly experience. More of everything that God is more and more into our daily experience. But Jesus also knew that this was a here and coming kind of a thing, that we can never exhaust it because that's inexhaustible. It's like we're going to have the the final full amount of love here right now. Well, that's not possible because we can't hold infinity. You know what I'm saying? So this thing is a process. It's an in-progress kind of thing. But that is what Jesus was all about, the unfolding love of God breaking into reality. And how can we be ushers of that, conduits of that with our very lives? This is really the essence of salvation. Bruce Epperly continues on that thread. He says, process theology sees salvation or wholeness. That is the best definition of salvation, by the way as a universal, moment-by-moment, lifelong, and everlasting process. Process theology sees salvation as involving the totality of our lives, political, economic, ethnic, ethic, no, it is ethnic, sexual, family of origin, and planetary. God's quest invites us to become saved persons in safe communities and a healthy planet. I I got bad news for you. If you thought that salvation and faith was just about getting you to heaven, well, it's good news and bad news. The bad news is you're, you're going to be bummed out with Jesus because Jesus was saying this is a lot bigger than that. And the good news is it's a lot bigger than that. This is your whole life. 
How is the Spirit of God instructing you, wooing you, encouraging you to develop all these areas of life into greater and greater maturity based on the love of God? Because that's the point of faith and faithfulness. And faithful living requires a different way of seeing and living in the world. Remember, Jesus was an outlier. The kinds of things that he did bucked the system. He was, he was counterintuitive in his biblical interpretation, and he was countercultural in the things that he did. Eventually, both those things together are what got him killed. And now he's inviting us to follow along. In his words, then Jesus told the disciples, if any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, I wear a cross uh, around my neck. This is not what Jesus was talking about. Just go get a cheap necklace at the mall in a kiosk somewhere and wear it around my neck and we'll call it good. That's, <laughs> that is not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, pick up your symbol and means of execution. That's what he's saying. He's saying, lay this thing down. Trust me enough. Trust me enough to lay down the way you thought life was meant to be and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? And Bruce Epperly just says what's clear. The cost of discipleship can be personal, spiritual, and intellectual insecurity. And it should feel that way. If you haven't been bothered by the Spirit of God to uh, change something in your life, I'm just going to hazard a guess that you're not paying any attention at all. Or if your life really hasn't fundamentally changed all that much over long seasons of time, if your understanding of God, the love of God, the expanse of God, the way you live your life, if it has not been in any way touched by the presence of God, if you've never consciously thought, um, what is God calling me to do in this area of my life? My time management, my budgeting, my lifestyle, my whatever, my politics, blah, 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 fill in the blank. If that has never crossed your attention, again, good news. The Spirit of God beckons, is wooing you to consider all aspects of your life, and at times it is going to feel like a great reversal, like you are abandoning a former way. You know why it feels like you're abandoning a former way? It's because you're abandoning a former way. <laughs> you're opting for something different, better. Jesus is saying, the way that I'm showing you, the way that I am trying to model for you as one who's been changed by the very presence of God is the way to experience life in all of its abundance and fullness. Will you trust me and follow me? That's what he's about. And of course, Jesus was in a Jewish tradition. He didn't make all this stuff up. This stuff was in the Jewish tradition before Jesus made it really clear. Uh, Rabbi Hillel uh, says it this way, if I'm not for myself, who will be? And that's not a selfish thing. But he goes on to say, if I'm only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? Those are penetrating questions. So you know the, you know the top two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, sign. No, that's straight again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's one. And love your neighbor as yourself, which means you love yourself, but it also means you're loving somebody else to the same degree. 
This is what we're about. And Jesus is calling us all the time in our own process and progression. Follow me, follow me, trust me, trust me. Well, it turns out that, uh, you know, this whole thing that we're talking about with process theology, different ways of seeing the world, uh, science and theology uh, have always had a, they've actually always been in relationship together. Sometimes they've been really ugly. There were some really uh, ugly turns that the church made that really ruined some things uh, somewhere around 1,000 uh, years ago and again about 500 years ago and again about 100 years ago. The church has had problems uh, with uh, science because because of our theology, really, not because of science. We're supposed to be getting along swimmingly. And increasingly, especially with process theology, you need to know this, open and relational theology on the world stage when it comes to, um, you know, the world conference on religions in the world, uh, the one voice uh, that speaks out and speaks up uh, for science because it gets along with science, open and relational theology because it understands that we're a part of this thing that God is doing. We don't need to resist it. We need to see it and own it. And that's good news because there's some pretty cool stuff for us to see now that we couldn't see before, stuff that Einstein and Whitehead were hunching on. They were intuiting so long ago. And now we have the capacity to start to venture into fuller understanding, which is really, really cool. So David Baum, who was um, a quantum physicist, uh, there's a brilliant interview, by the way. Just it's a 10-minute thing. It's on my blog. Go check it out. Just to hear this guy talk, you'd think he's a theologian. But he says, as human beings and societies, we seem separate, but in our roots, we are part of an, invis- an indivisible whole and share in the same cosmic processes. That's amazing. And then Teilhard de Chardin said, God and world form a complementary whole. There is no separation. In the interview, Baum talks about how we think about ourselves uh, separate from the world. Like, oh, well, we have us human beings, and there, there's the created world. And the reality is there's no difference. We are part of this thing, this rock called earth. There's no separation. We're all living organisms on this thing together, all in the same soup. And that is a really, really good thing. And this soup, is we, if we really believe what uh, the mystics have gone before us, what, what the Jewish tradition says, and what Jesus certainly said, and his followers certainly said, is that this character and nature of God, the thisness of everything, the, one, the energy behind everything, its primary characteristic is love. And when we choose that love, we are for each other, we are for the good of the planet. We're for the good of everyone, everywhere. We want to see everybody thriving. That's what happens when we are enraptured in love. We can't help it. But we all know that sometimes we don't choose love. There was a woman by the name of Eddie Hilsom uh, who lived in uh, Amsterdam in her late uh, 20s, uh, right about the time of World War II. And in her late 20s, she and her parents and brother uh, were taken away to Auschwitz. Her parents made it one month. She made it just two months before she was murdered. And in her insight, uh, she said, each of us moves things along in the direction of war every time we fail in love. I think we can agree with that. Anytime there's war, 
It's a failure of love, a failure of seeing the other as equal and human. Anytime there's injustice in a society, it is a failure of love because we other the person who is experiencing the injustice. Across the board, war is not just war with militaries. War happens with words, with emotions, with actions, passive-aggressive ways and physical ways. War is war, and it comes about when we fail to love. So there's another way to think. This comes from uh, a Jesuit uh, leader named Pedro Arupe, and he says, what you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will affect everything. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. Augustine, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, about 1,500 years ago-ish, uh, said, love God and do as you please not endorsing reckless behavior, but he was so convinced that if we are so enmeshed and immersed in the love of God, what we will do with our lives is loving and congruent with the Spirit of God because love comes from the Spirit of God. If some of you uh, here today or listening, um, you know, about half, <laughs> literally about half of our church is online now, <laughs> uh, either listening live or throughout the weeks. It's kind of a weird thing. So I just want to say, if you have a hard time with the word God and you hear me say God is love, you know, a theologian uh, a few centuries ago turned it around. So if you have a hard time just saying uh, God is love, then maybe you just need to look at it the other way and say love is God. And that's a fair way to think a fair way to manage this stuff. What you're in love with seizes your attention and makes everything happen. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin said, love alone is capable of uniting living beings in such a way as to complete and fulfill them. For it alone takes them and joins them by what is deepest in themselves. Love alone can bring us to the threshold of another universe. I was thinking about this a little bit this week, um, wanting to be helpful, you know, I wanted to do this series on prayer to be helpful uh, to you and your process of faith. And that involves seeing things in a different way. And, and my theology has shifted significantly in my 20, almost 24 years <laughs> completed here. And, uh, and you've been along for the ride and been kind of clunking along with me <laughs> and figuring out together. Um, but, you know, I, I want to just say this really clearly that, you know, at the pivotal moments in my life, you know, when I, I really had these profound shifts in my thinking, it wasn't because somebody handed me a book and said, hey, Pete, I know uh, God's been kind of dead in your life as a sophomore in high school, so here's a book for you. And let that book just open your eyes. The book didn't do it. Now, the book was a vehicle and it was important. But you know what did it? You know what lit me up the summer before my sophomore year in high school? It was the love of God. I experienced the love of God in a profound way. And I couldn't shake it. <laughs> it changed me. And then I lost it for about two and a half years. That sucked. No other word for it. I felt lost. I was in the dark. And it wasn't somebody coming along and giving me a new theology that said, oh, this will do the trick. You just need to read this and you'll be fine. Or you just need to listen to this music and you'll be fine. 
Now, those are good tools, and they have helped me over the years for sure. But you know what brought me back and brought me back for good? It was the love of God. It was experiencing the love of God again as redemptive, as merciful, as sustaining, as support, as helpful. As even when I'm in a mess of my life and feeling like I've wrecked things and don't know my way forward, the presence of God was always, I know, I know, I'm with you. We're going to get through this together. It's okay. I know. One step at a time. And that has happened repeatedly again and again and again. I was thinking about a time where I was one of the most horrible season of my life uh, and Lynn's. Uh, we, we were facing really serious uh, stuff, uh, to put it mildly. And we both have our own experiences. But during that time um, where she was, you know, we were both just in a wash. And she would take walks and listen to music and um, and the overwhelming thing that she heard, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the lyrics of the music that she was listening to. It wasn't the exercise of her feet, which is also a good thing. But it was this overwhelming feeling that she had of saying, hearing the, the presence of God, not literally, not like out of a megaphone, but everything in her being was hearing God say, I am with you. I am with you. It's going to be okay. I am with you. And at that same time, I had to make some critical decisions, and I was terrified. And I wasn't sure which, which way to go. How do, we, how do we proceed? And the strong sense of God that I experienced at that time was, I am with you. <laughs> and in no uncertain terms, heard this presence in my head say, protect. Protect. And it was protect my wife, my kids, you, because of the kind of crap that we were facing. It was horrible. But what got me through wasn't a textbook, it wasn't a theology book that said, when it's hitting the fan, Pete, these are the, these are the three steps that are going to get you through. No. It was the steadfast love of the Lord, which never ceases. I found out for myself God's mercies in myriad forms never end. They really are new every morning. Even during the seasons, I can't see it. I've told this to many people. There are seasons when we are in a fog, and we just got to trust that the bridge we're walking on is there, that others have traveled this. We will get through it. And we're going to find out at the end that we didn't get through it on our own strength. There's a beautiful insight that a, a guy about 400 years ago, his name was Meister Eckhart. He was a mystic, uh, about 1300-ish, so more than that, 700 years ago. And uh, he had this insight. He said, God is the newest thing there is, the youngest thing. <laughs> and when we are united with God, we become new again. We tend to think about God as being ancient, but do you understand that God is always in the next moment? Whitehead said, uh, the process uh, philosopher theologian, uh, he said that life is really a process of perpetual perishing. 
that everything comes to an end and an end and an end, and he's right. But the really good news on that is that right after that end, there is a new beginning and a new beginning, and God meets you at every new beginning with the same invitation to walk with you, to love you, to support you. We become new again. So as we end our time here today, I have um, two prayers that I kind of stuck together from Epperly out of this last chapter, which I thought were so good. And then I thought uh, we could just say the Lord's Prayer together. So here are the prayers. Adventurous spirit, give us adventurous spirits. The Lord awaits those who risk safety to bring justice and healing to the world. The world is desperate for Godward souls. Yeah, thanks for saying it with me. That's nice. I didn't tell you to do that, but you just kind of did it. So let's keep going. Uh, The world is desperate for Godward souls who are willing to lose their well-planned and predictable lives to embark on the high hope of adventure. Life and love abound for those who venture toward God's horizons of hope. Let us follow God's adventure. Let us embrace God's healing vision. And let us let go of certainty to bring life and light to the world. Holy One, give us hope. Holy Adventure, give us a glimpse of another world. Holy Life Giver, awaken us to a new vocation as earth healers. Confident that we can change, let us risk taking new directions, sacrificing destructive ways of life for our great-grandchildren's futures. Let our wealth be relational, and spiritual. Let our treasure be the beauty of holiness and the transformations of the Spirit. Grant us peace that passes understanding and faith that moves mountains and changes weather patterns. Amen. Now, if you would rise with me, that we would say the Lord's Prayer together, which I remind you is a model for prayer. It is worth memorizing. I highly recommend memorizing it so that when you don't have it in front of you, you can go through the motions and the model and let it take you where it needs to go. This is a way of being in the world, of being connected with God, which is what process prayer is all about, being in lockstep with the very Spirit of God. Let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You are beautiful people living in a beautiful world led by a beautiful God. Go in that hope and peace and strength. See you next week. Thanks for coming.